Hi, Sadie. Hi, Stephen. We did a podcast yesterday. I know. Oh, my goodness. So you're getting double of us this oh. weekend. I don't know if you can handle it or not. But there's a drastic change outside from yesterday. Yeah, it was, well, here. Half eight. Welcome to Half, Half Coffee, Coffee Will, Will Travel. Travel Sunday edition. Huh. Gotta take a drink first. We need some caffeination. So this podcast is not going to be about exercise or anything else. Sadie doesn't know this yet. I have no idea what we're doing but today. We're making this podcast all about you. Hmm. Not you my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> and something you got coming out coming up this week. I do. Would you like to share with us what it is? Sure. So my new book, Fragments of Hope, comes out on Tuesday. Right now you can get the pre-release copy on Amazon for Kindle only. And then Tuesday the 28th. It's Tuesday the 28th. Yes. Now that my car has given us a <laughs> different date. We went to record something yesterday and my car had a different date than what it really was. Just, and I'm like, how did we miss a day? Yeah, today's actually the 26th. Yeah. So this comes out on the 28th. It's called Fragments of Hope. And it's listed under Sadie K. Frazier. It's a memoir of loss, survival, and recovery. Do you want to go ahead and read the sure. thing on the back? Yes, I'll see if I can read this part Boy, that says for... Re it says not for resale right that, across right my blurb. Right the most convenient spot. Okay, so... Despite having everything to celebrate after years of infertility, the next chapter of Hope Austin's life is suddenly fragmented by sorrow. The future she envisioned is shattered without warning. When her world implodes and she cannot see a way out of the darkness that encompasses her every waking moment, she is faced with a critical choice, to remain anchored to her trauma or face the merciless demons of her past to heal. Unspeakable grief, crippling anxiety, and outright anger towards God become relentless snapshots of pain that crush her spirit as she pleads for an ending to the suffering. As she clings to whispers of light found in chance meetings with angels unaware, she begins to pen the first threads of hope, a memoir of loss, survival, and recovery. Join Hope as she rewrites the story of tragedy through profoundly moving and deeply intimate chapters of finding grace, a second chance at love, and a purpose born from her journey through grief. So let's, this, your book actually ties in to a podcast we did, what, two weeks ago about the trauma train? Mm-hmm. So set the set the tone for us what we walk us through your character's book but not only that maybe we'll talk about and you can be as descriptive as you want what has happened in your life that helped get that book kicking um well let's just start with like how what what it came to be or why it came to be we were watching the brooks shields movie was it two christmases ago mm -hmm. A Castle for Christmas, yep. I think was the name of it. And I had gone through one of the worst roadblocks as far as... Um, you were in the desert of authors. Yeah, like writer's block, horribly. Worse than I've ever faced before. I've never really had writer's block. I've had, a you know, like a weekend where it was like, okay, nothing's really coming. I could have pushed through it, but not like this. This was like 
putting my words kind of like I am right now <laughs> putting my words one in front of the other was just not working and we watched that movie A Castle for Christmas which has absolutely nothing to do with this book but Brooke Shields was the main character in that movie and she walked towards this desk in the castle and looked outside and as she put her hands on the desk I I, I don't know I just all of a sudden like I had all this stuff come to me and from then on, I just kind of saw this whole book in like snapshot, snapshot, snapshot fragments of like chapters and emotions and all this stuff. And I think we were sitting on the couch and I just started e emailing myself like crazy and making notes. And I ended up with pages and pages of notes. So I kind of saw the, the beginning, the middle and the end all the way through the book. And then at some point there was a, a twist so, dun, dun, dun. there is a plot twist. All good books should have a twist. Yeah, but it wasn't one I expected even as the author to, I, it's not like I planned it. It just, as I was writing the book, it's not where I was headed with the book, and all of a sudden I saw the ending, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what's supposed to happen. But I think throughout the book, like I said, so I started writing this book. I don't know where it came from. A lot of us as authors don't really know what inspires us, what those thoughts, you know, like who starts those thoughts. Obviously it starts in your brain, but sometimes, like when I wrote Love, Sam, I kind of felt led to write that. Well, you and I both, I would say, had a piece of that book. Definitely. But sometimes you don't realize as you're writing it how much it actually pertains to you. So even though I haven't lost my partner, I haven't lost a child... I saw pieces of myself throughout this book. And even as I finished the book, I felt like I was finishing that chapter through her words. I felt like I went on that journey with her. So, Well, and I think, too, anytime you can pull from real life and put in your book, just that experience, that mm -hmm. raw emotion kind of helps, wouldn't yeah, you say? I would say so. Now, even when we wrote um, Have Fate Will Travel, we had never obviously traveled overseas but mm -mm. you can simulate that effect effect um if you do a fair amount of research and you watch i think having videos to watch helps because oh, yeah. then you actually see the people you you can feel the vibe for your television through your television and mm -hmm. you know having actually interviewed a couple people that did travel they actually started out where our book kind of wound its way through helped a lot because we now we'd never been to seattle but i've been close i was like a state away but uh definitely you know anytime you're writing a book uh, that involves something somewhere outside of your area you want to do as much research mm -hmm. and i think with your book you pretty much traveled your book just in research didn't you yep well, it's set in Maine, which is, we've never been there, but I feel like I was when I was writing this. I felt a connection to that place, to that home. And then most, <laughs> I don't know why, we both have Celtic blood, so a lot of my characters ended up having ties to Celtic, you know, they're either Irish or they're just kind of a, a hidden note to that, an homage to our heritage. Or even Italy. Well, no, that's what I was going to say. Previous books have all had ties to Irish. Mm. So this one, Hope is actually Italian. So she ends up going to Italy on kind of like an eat, love, pray voyage after, not not at the end of her grief journey, but 
towards the you know three quarter point when she just is starting to think maybe I can do this and that's what turns her life around is that trip to Italy that she takes it's an unexpected trip that trip that somebody else gifts her and she fights against it and doesn't want to go and it it completely changes her life and her perspective on how far she's come and and her journey so somebody needs to gift us a trip to right? Italy <laughs> right <clears throat> so let's talk about um, character to development for a minute how so you you mentioned that watching uh, castle for Christmas helped spawn that inspiration mm -hmm. but at what point in your development of the book did your character just step out from the shadows and said I'm your person almost immediately it was it's weird because I can picture her and it's it's hard to describe her because you don't want to get into too many features because that loses something with the readers and being able to use their own imagination. But I saw her almost immediately. Like, there's a there's a poem that this all stems from, and I'll read that real quick, too. It's at the very beginning, and it's by... Sorry for the page turning here, right? The microphone. It's called Fragments, and it's by a woman named Yuli Kay that I follow on Facebook. It says, I guess it all comes down to this. I have won some, and I have lost some. Dearly lost some. And to this day, my body aches because of things that I could not shake myself loose from. I don't know that I've ever looked at that from my perspective as far as trauma either. I haven't really paid attention. I just associated this with the book. But now that I'm reading out loud, I see that, you know, it really connects to me as well. Yeah. Anyway, I am not invincible. My strength does not come by means of powerful and blatant outward expressions. In fact, I am at the constant mercy of the very next moment. I cling to fragments. I grasp for small pieces of sunlight, wherever and whenever and however they come. I listen for whispers of hope. These tender breezes that tell me I am still able, and on my best day I believe them. I live in the seconds of time that remind me that I am a beautiful part of something so much bigger than here and this and now. It is the only way I know. So that sums up a lot of us, I think. Yeah. So that was like I found that quote immediately when I decided to write this book, and I st I always look for a quote at the beginning, and the very next second, I pulled. I was looking through Facebook, not looking for a quote, and that's what popped up. And from that moment on, as soon as I saw the word hope, as soon as I I read that, I saw her. I just I created her from this connection I had to this woman who, like I said, by the end of this book, I realized has more pieces of me than I realized. But I think that's where character development comes from is, I, I don't know, I've read enough stuff and taken enough courses and classes that they say you have to make this character that everybody falls in love with and you have to pay attention to all these details. For me, I listen to my gut. I listen to my instincts and I find that connection with that character and then it just builds from there. And maybe they grow and they develop along the way, but I don't sit down ahead of time and be like, okay. I mean, I guess we have a little bit, but that character still transforms as you write the book. I guess you come up with the physical character first. Yeah. And you kind of have this, in your mind's eye, you kind of have this idea of what it's like. But from that moment forward, you use the emotions and the, the raw material from the book to kind of make that character evolve into this person. I know for like Half Fate Will Travel with, you're going to have to remind me their names Alex again. Alex and Emma. Alex and Emma. Um, we miss them. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
that was a hard book to put down and say, okay, we're done. Yeah. Like, I long to still be in their life and be a part of their characters. And Good thing is we have a second one. That's right. We need to start. We, kinda, we have a lot of ideas, and we've taken some notes, but we just kind of put that on the back burner while we were each well, finishing a couple other projects. It doesn't help. We have another book series we want to collab on. Yep. So it's it, we're never truly without ideas. You just have to look around and, you know, take note of what you got. Yep. We're going to pause for a second to get our unruly characters <laughs> in control. animals. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Animals crowd. Sorry. <laughs> we, we, we knew going into doing Have Coffee Will Travel edition, uh, there were going to be some um, inconveniences like having puppies and but you know what we kind of wanted it a little bit raw but sometimes you have to hit pause we just don't want it to be annoying in the background <laughs> like yeah yesterday we were walking on our trail at a local um, school and there were birds out chirping traffic diesel trucks walking by like right now you can hear the big golden doodle walking through the kitchen you can hear her big feet <laughs> people walking by saying hi and they thought we probably we were just talking on the phone now if i would have been walking with a microphone in my hand I'd be yeah like, what's this weirdo doing yeah that would have been a little more obvious so let's um switch just a minute um you mentioned our other book half fate will travel yep um each of our characters, uh, well, actually, we had four main characters, mm -hmm. six, but not really. Uh, Peter and Sarah were the first two. They didn't really have, um, I would say they weren't probably as detailed as Alex and Emma. What do you think? No, because they're, well, they from their perspective, their them. story was told, until the end, their story was told through the perspective of journal entries. So their characters were only, we only brought them to life through the words that we repeated in those journals, but Alex and Emma were actually living life in real time, so yeah, so yeah that's true. We had to develop their characters through a journalistic approach, you know, and as our main characters, Alex and Emma, were following in their footsteps, that's how you got to know Peter and Sarah and then a little surprise at the end of the book. But we have the benefit of... So, Half Fate Will Travel. Um, if you want to know the history, you'll have to find the podcast. We talk about that book. Um, we took... Sadie wrote the female perspectives. I wrote the male perspectives. It was just easier that way. But anytime you write a book, when it's, it deals with some heavy topics... Anytime you can pull from your own life, right, it's easier. Right, it, it's you're able to pour yourself into that book, that character, and say, "Okay, this is me. This is my." It becomes your child, right, almost. So, fragments of hope um, is a very. Um, would you say you um, had a hard time writing it because of the trauma you had to write? I did as the, as it went on further. I mean, I've it's kind of like in Love Sam. There's one specific. There's a hospital scene that I have no way to describe how I felt when I wrote that because I literally felt every single second of what happened in there, and I felt like I had I had lived that in whatever you believe in other lifetimes, if you believe in past lives, whatever. I felt like that was me, not Addison, in that book, and there was parts of fragments of hope that I felt the same way like when she lost her child 
and she goes through that whole scene of from diagnosis, but especially the hospital scene. For some reason, I was brought right back to that time, and I felt like I, I think you have to use your emotions anyway, but there's a difference in actually feeling like you've lived that. Now, how do you write a book that's based in another location? Like, I wrote um, the Kindred Soul series. I, my characters were in Scotland and Japan. Mm -hmm. I've never been there that I know of. True. Did but you do a lot of research I did on that? a lot that? of research. Yeah. Because the Japan part um, early on dealt with um, 1500s Japan. Mm -hmm. And that's at a time when shipping to and from was kind of uh, in the early stages of, you know, the Western cultures coming in and influencing the Eastern cultures. And so I had to research that. Not only that, but I had to research other things but i i still think i was at a disadvantage not having ever been there yeah you know I, ha I have a friend in japan that i had to often enough even though there's a 12-hour time difference i had to say hey how do i say this in japanese and obviously i could use google translate but then you got to wonder okay am i saying the right thing here or is pronouncing is, it yeah, is google or... translate give me the correct version right and one of these things, this, this will go to a PG-13 moment. <laughs> I had to ask, I wanted to say that as part of the story, uh, I needed to know the term whorehouse. And I Googled it, and I'm like, this has to be exact. I don't want to guess. I don't want to say something that is completely different than, you know, it's like going to a tattoo shop with, you want a kanji script, and it really says, cow jumped over the moon mm -hmm. when really you wanted i'm a big badass that's not you know yeah so i had to ask my friend minero i said minero here's what i want to say in japanese google translate says this what is it actually and then I, and then as soon as i hit send i sent another one that said i will tell you later why i needed this i am so sorry <laughs> so and i think because of the 12-hour time difference he was already up luckily I can't imagine being asleep and waking up to your phone going off. He wants to know what? <laughs> I think I'd be asking questions before I said what needed to be said. So anyways, that's I was at a disadvantage. I, I have never been to Japan. I've, I, know, I know Japanese people. I love them. But unless you have that cultural aspect right in front of you, you're missing something. And no amount of research is going to tell you that's true. The truth. You have to, there's just some things you have to be there in person. It's like you're describing a, some some antipasta from Italy mm -hmm. sitting at Venice. You're not going to get that complete feel, accurate feel, unless you're sitting there by the canal overlooking the gondolas and the gondoliers mm -hmm. as the boats rock up and down. And you just, you're not going to get it. So mm -hmm. you have to adapt so in your book... Well, let me back up for a minute while you're talking about Japan there. There's one, is it in uh, Redemption, where the Black Dragon is there with them? In They're all in uh, that, like, not marketplace, but they're all there as... It's that final scene with Kieran and No, and that, yeah, No, they're um, near Isle of Skye. Okay. With the final battle. Either way, we've never been there. But you did enough research that me as a reader, I've never been there either. I realize I'm your wife and we talk about Ireland a lot. So hmm. that kind of puts me right into that spot. But um, 
that was one of my favorite scenes because I could literally feel and hear the sounds around that whole scene. And, mm -hmm. you know, I put myself there. So whether you have actually been there, you did a good enough description of that area. It may not look or sound or smell or taste anything mm -hmm. like that, but you took me as a reader right into that spot with them, and I lived that scene with them as if I was standing right there watching. Well, there's another part, too. My first book... Um my, in my first Kindred Souls, I can't remember my own book title. <laughs> uh, Trials. Tri no, Adventures of the... Oh, of, yeah. yeah. The so anyways, it, it the first book flip-flops back and forth between current time, CE, and BCE, before current era. Um, I opened up where you very first meet Kieran. Uh, he's run a rash of bad luck, and he's stumbling drunk. And I wrote that the, the, the sail ships... Or rocking mm -hmm. back and forth in the harbor, like into Jima. No, in um, Scotland, I think somewhere. Gotcha. And he just rock. Those ships are rocking back and forth, and I'm sorry, but there's not many wooden sail ships anymore. Mm -hmm. So to imagine just the creaking wood and the ocean waves and the, the harbor bell and all that stuff, just the ocean spray, I had to really really over the top think about that like how and as i used to quote I, I think i've kind of gotten away maybe i need to reinvent that pretend you're a blind person walking through the forest mm -hmm. pretend you're a blind person on a dock at the ocean what do you hear what do you feel do you feel the, the ocean spray on your face do you do you feel the breeze coming in off the ocean the creaking wood timbers on the ship the people's voices in a distant tavern talking and drinking and probably brawling or so anytime you have the option to go somewhere that you're going to incorporate in your book do it however if you are writing strictly um just from research watch your videos interview people you need a good feel and the only reason why i'm saying that is because you may at some point encounter a reader that is like, well, that's not how that happened. Because mm -hmm, I've oh, been there in okay, that spot. Prove it and, to me. Yeah. So you, you want your research solid. You want the descriptions. You know, say, for example, you'd never been to a coffee shop. You'd never had a real cup of coffee. That's hard to imagine from us because we drink <laughs> it all the time. Yeah. Um, but there's our favorite place over in Omaha we go to called Postal Cafe. Cafe said, Postal. Yeah, the other way. <laughs> um, we... We, we, sure, we've been to coffee shops, but this was in a historical building. Um, you needed the espresso machines. You needed the steam, the froth, or the people. You cannot write a book about a coffee shop. And I'm using this as an example, unless you have truly been to a coffee mm -hmm. shop. Yeah, you can do your research. You can, But this is just one of those small things that... Coffee shops are everywhere. Go to a coffee shop. Sit down and observe. Yeah, even and, if you don't drink coffee, yeah. go there. Live. And this you know, is put where yourself into that experience. People watching skills come mm -hmm. in to the max because the better you are at observing and listening. What was the Chris Hemsworth we were watching last night? Oh. When he was on the walkabout with yeah. his friend and the Aboriginal leader said, "Hear with your own ears. See with your see own with eyes. your own eyes." You have to do it as an author because otherwise 
I mean, you, you're expecting your readers to know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You have to walk them through the journey as if it's them you're writing about. Or they're, they're, an, an ex, they're like a ghost following your character around. Yeah. If your descriptions, if you're setting the scene that's completely off and wrong, you, you read a book years ago, you were proofing a book about a person in a cave. On a planet. For like 500 pages of this book that never moved beyond this one scene. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Now, now here, let me let me back step a minute. Um, I wrote, I'm in the middle, God, this, i got to finish this manuscript. It's called Star Searcher. And I started this, this is pre-COVID, like that summer. Obviously, I've never been to space. I've never been on a spaceship in this life. But... I understand the mechanics of space enough. Obviously, it's with it being science fiction, it's science based. Is you know how that term came to be. But that's one of those no mad no amount of research or imagination is really going to get you that true feel of space. Mm-hmm. So help your character out. Do do your homework and your videos. Watch some sci-fi movies if that's your thing. Put your reader in the shoes of your character. Yep. You have to. Otherwise, you might as well stop what you're doing and go to space yourself. That's right. Or Italy. Or Scotland. Well, and one of the questions you asked me was about, like, how did I write that? From I've never been to Maine, so the first part of this is all done in Maine. So I looked up videos, and it starts off in the middle of winter when she's in the middle of a you know, a horrible winter storm on the East Coast, a nor'easter. So I watched a couple of videos. I pulled up a couple of videos of just news articles of what it looks like in that same area in the middle of a storm. One of the things that I've learned lately when I'm doing my research in locations like that is to, I always envision myself. So if I, if I say I'm going to a certain mountain, I look up what specific trails are there. And I pick more of an off-the-beaten-path one that not everybody else mm-hmm. would take. The other thing I've learned to do, which is just something within the last couple books that I've been doing, is get on the sites that show those um, those locations and stuff. But don't just read, like, say what, you know, the, the state of Maine says, like the tourism mm-hmm. website, all that kind of stuff. Go to somewhere, restaurants trails, all that kind of stuff, you can get on anywhere and find reviews that other people have written. So that's what I have found helpful. Don't just read the paragraph that's, you know, this is what it is, and it's 2,000 feet above sea level, and it's blah, 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 blah. And don't just do facts. Yeah, get on and read about the personal experiences of people that have been in that area, and then just kind of use bits and pieces from words that they use, and phrases you know you might have somebody say i like this but this is what i didn't like about it and then you'll have somebody else say we fell in love here and this is where my husband proposed and blah 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 take all the best and the worst of that and then figure out what works for each of those locations yep. so it's more of a personal experience that way and and i'll say too i was thinking of this while you're talking when we um first came up with have fate will travel we knew some things and or locations that were going to come up that like we got to be right on this. Mm-hmm. So when we found Adventures of A Plus K, Adam and Catherine, uh, beautiful people. We've talked to them via phone for a podcast two years ago. Mm-hmm. We need to have um, them on again for a. Maybe we need to write a book on Thailand where they're at right now. That's right. Recap of their lives. That's right. So. 
at the time, I think, when we found them, had they left Seattle yet? Or did we, maybe they were past that. I we think just, they were past that, but we went back and caught up at that point. So we had an advantage um, where they're at with the Seattle scene and the coffee shops and the food. That's that's was not hard to figure out. However, watching their videos through and through and having been to, you know, gone out two places that part wasn't hard to write but it still helps because mm -hmm. you want you want the smells and as you write about how the barista pours the coffee and so forth then you hear the ambient noise going on around you adam and Catherine did a really good job of that and we need to make sure we pimp this part and tag them <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so how do you how does an author how did you specifically write about your character hope that you could convince the your reader that the trauma was real what did you incorporate you, better yet you obviously haven't lost a spouse you haven't lost a child so how did you put into your book those feelings of loss i think that you need kleenex first let me put no i think that stems from your own pain and your own traumas and i have lost like my friend Chris Darrington, when we lived in Missouri, um, you know, he was 16 years old, had a fight with his mom, and decided that, hey, I'm kind of being an ass. I think I'm going to go surprise my mom, go to Dairy Queen, get her her favorite ice cream, middle of a, it was on uh, Veterans Day, so everybody was off, and we had a little bit of bad weather, kind of like we do right now. Didn't know the roads were bad at all, so he takes off with his best friend Jared, to go get his mom ice cream. He didn't apologize to his mom first. In his head, he just thought, I need to make this right. I'm going to go get her her favorite things. Flowers and ice cream is what he brought, was going to bring home. She never had that chance to make up with him. He was killed on the way back home bringing her that ice cream and those flowers. So there's experiences like that that I remember how that felt. See, thanks for making me cry again. Phoenix. <laughs> Um, I remember those first days afterwards with his mom where she reached out to all of his best friends and she would rather end her life than live without her child. They never had a chance to make it right. So I've poured from my own experiences, like I said, with things like that. It's just, it's little things like that that you might not even realize as you're writing that scene. Like, where did the scene come from? Why did I have her lose her child? It's just something that it just comes out. I mean, it's just like you listen to your heart and then that book starts developing, but I think it's your own traumas and your own pain and your own experiences are hidden behind those those fragments of yourself that you put into your book and into your characters. So, and as far as the spouse part, I used how I would feel. I actually had to pull back a little bit because there was part of it that I could not write. I couldn't imagine that. But it helped. It did help, but I had to pull myself back from it a little bit and just say, I can't even think about that on myself, so I'm going to use this character and how I would feel, but I couldn't go to the full depths of, you know, how I would really feel losing you. So, but yeah, bits and pieces of ourself and just being, being true, being authentic, being real. Some people don't want to read stuff like that. And if that's not for you, then pick up a fantasy novel and I get lost. Couple. Yeah, then get lost in a different kind of world. 
But for me right now, this is helping me on my journey, my pain, my trauma, for all different kinds of reasons. And hers was like you and I are experiencing experiencing some growing pains right now mm-hmm. just by watching that Chris Hemsworth Limitless show on Disney Plus that it changed my perspective a couple of podcasts I've been listening to this week changed my perspective on my life and those growing pains aren't going to be easy so I followed that character from her brokenness there's a little bit of addiction that's mentioned at the first part of this book I used my daughter's experience with addiction my oldest daughter Jen I used her experience with addiction to drugs for a brief period in her time. And it's something that obviously once you have that addiction, you're going to have to face your entire life. You will always be an addict, but you can learn to recover and heal from that too. So I just kind of, she went through the stages of grief, grief basically throughout the book, but it turned into so much more than I thought it would by the end. It wasn't just a grief journey. It was her becoming herself falling in love again, things like that, that she didn't expect. She didn't expect to see those life lessons turn into, you know, or realize her purpose from her pain, Mm. which is pretty much (laughs) my entire course, my entire business that I'm working on as a trauma and recovery practitioner. Um, But I, you know, at the end, I could see why I wrote this and how I was meant to play a part in this message I'm supposed to share too. So you mentioned trauma practitioner. Let's pimp out what you got going on in June, as long as nothing changes. Yeah, I hope nothing changes. Otherwise, I'm going to make it happen myself. We're not even going to put that out there. <laughs> um, so our library director reached out to us at the last I- li- library event, which we need to remember. There's one in May also, um, and asked me if I would like to speak. She and I had talked, what, two years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. before COVID. A little bit about me speaking to veterans and some other people, helping them write their story basically from their trauma. So things didn't line up. I was kind of disappointed that nothing nothing happened. Even when we went to the library event last fall, Mm -hmm. she said, the lady I was going to, you know, put all these pieces together with, she's no longer there. The program didn't, you know, it didn't, it kind of failed. So we're kind of stuck. But I'll keep in mind if anything ever happens. And I just was like, okay. (laughs) I thought maybe that was going to be this shot to open all this stuff up and get this going. So I didn't really think much about it. And then a few months ago, I got this email from her that said, our whole library event for the summer, it's a summer program, I think, is on finding your voice. And for me, that's kind of my whole thing. I'm helping others deal with their trauma, find their voice, speak their truth, and then learn to rewrite their story out of that brokenness, out of that, and into your wholeness, basically. So this is a wonderful opportunity to be able to create a workshop. It's going to be hard for me to pull back and not talk about trauma because she wants me to help others find their voice and just writing their story. So that's going to have to be on a perspective of whether it's fiction, nonfiction, take them through all the stages. But I hope to also put up some YouTube videos to help you guys, just like we're talking about now, on character development, on how to pick a title, how to start your story, how to, you know. But for me, that goes even deeper into trauma and helping others basically pen a new life out of that trauma that you've lived. So... I'm excited about that. It's the end of June at our local library, and I hope that that's going to open doors that lead in 
to many, many, many great things for In Pursuit of Purpose. Yep, I agree. I, I hope things work out. Okay, so let's talk about um, the process of secondary characters. How important are they to the main character, especially with one as um, fragmented as hope? <laughs> I was, I was trying, to think of the right, trying to think of the right <laughs> words here. So you have Hope, who's gone through some stuff. You bring in some other characters. But what roles do they play in Hope's overall? Well, look character? at our look at our own lives. Everybody we know is a part of our story. It's a part of our storyline. So she's got, let's say, her husband's best friend, who comes to her rescue at the hospital when she's losing her husband. But he has caused her pain in the past because he's kept a major secret from her that comes out later on in the book that changes the whole trajectory of the book and how she thinks about, you know, being able to trust people and um, finds out that her gut feelings were right all along. Um, There's also a character who comes in and almost sweeps her off of her feet because he's carefree and he's everything she's not. And she's learning to trust again and learning to say, okay, maybe it's okay to be, you know, I'm safe enough to be able to trust him. And he takes her on some adventures where her heart's opened like it never had been before. And then there's the pastor of the church. Of course, when she's gone through this double loss in her life, you're going to blame God. You're going to go through, I think all of us will. And I'm not going to give a whole lot away, but in the book, there's a point where she's talking to the pastor or she's actually hearing him speak at a, um, it's a, it's a grief recovery support group. And he starts to tell his story. She had no idea because he's a man of God. He's, he's, you know, the pastor of this church. He had gone down the wrong path after he had a loss in his life as well. And she just couldn't, she couldn't fathom a world where like, how do you doubt God? You're a pastor. You're supposed to have it all together. You're perfect. That's what makes them better. Yeah. He doesn't, she doesn't want to share herself and her pain with him because she's like, how could you possibly understand what I've been through? And so there's a very raw moment when he opens his heart and just shatters himself in front of her so that she can see his pain too. And then she's like, okay, I get it. Um, so every every character that we experience in our books, the, the main characters, the secondary characters, whoever it is, they all affect that storyline just like in our own lives. You can choose to be positively or negatively affected by the people in the books. And that's why they have protagonists and antagonists and they have the bad guys. Sometimes your main character can even be the bad guy. Um, I remember when we listened to Lee Child, a lot of times they like those kind of characters that are the bad guy at first, but you want to see character development and you want to see redemption for him at the end. Yeah, They don't usually yeah. always stay the bad guy. No, and that's good character development too. If you can write a book that shows growth as a character, I think you also grow as a person, yep. as an author, because you're, you're, you're showing where the character starts at ends at but then everything all the meat in the middle yeah shows true character growth which is real life i mean we should always have character growth within ourselves too which if you're stagnant like we have been the last six months we guys (laughs) we fell off the train and then let it roll over the top of us i think and yeah bumping along the way but like yesterday we got out and we did it 
We just, it didn't matter. We weren't waiting for our mindset or our energy level or anything to catch up to us. He's just like, it's nice out. Let's go for a walk. And I literally walked I don't to the. You didn't really fight me over it either. No, I just walked to the bedroom, put my shoes on, and said, let's go. And I didn't make any. I knew I couldn't allow myself that extra few seconds to stop and think. Mel Robbins has a thing where it's five, four, three, two, one. You might not want to get out of bed. You might want not want to face it. You're anxiety ridden. You're ready to do this thing. If you just stop and you say five, four, three, two, one. On one, you best move. If you wait beyond that point of saying one and then stop and think about it, you're going to talk yourself out of it. You're going to make excuses. You're going to be, you know. So if you don't stop and you just move, it's going to happen. We trained our brains before. We retrained ourselves to get out every night and walk we ate right we did all these things so yeah we could do it again and that was purely by trial and error too we didn't we looked up things that we knew were going to be healthy for us yeah and we just kind of adapted ourselves yeah however the couple miss hiking mishaps we had really broke us and said okay we were unprepared here this is what we can do better there that was kind of the, the thing that I heard on that podcast. It was a Japanese secret called Misogi, I think he called it. And it's basically people do it like once a month, uh, once a year normally. So like um, Kara and Nate, for instance. Well, they when do that they all went the time. The, <laughs> yeah, but when they went to the top of that mountain where it was like a six or seven day quest, I can't think of where it was. They were with the whole community. Um, hmm. I don't know. It was outside the country. It's the heart. It's the highest oh it was um yeah everest (laughs) yeah mount everest there you go base camp yep and it's things like that like you push yourself beyond the point of what you think you can and one of the things i found was like i mean there's there's times like at west oak forest like we talked about we felt like we had stretched ourselves to the limit i got broke yeah (laughs) And that's when they say that you find yourself is on the other side of that, pushing yourself to brokenness. You find yourself at the other side of that. You find the person who you want to be. But they also said that, like, when you feel like that and you feel like you can't go another step and you're ready to collapse, I'm talking on a physical level more than I suppose that would work emotionally, too. But physically, you're only at, was it like 40% 40%. of your capacity? You have 60% more that you could push yourself. And that doesn't seem possible sometimes, but it is. Our possibilities are limitless, just like the Chris Hemsworth show. You guys have to check that out. It will change your life. He pushes himself beyond mentally, physically, spiritually. You know, he, he faced his demons. So. I agree. Um... Well, you pretty much stole the show. Um, That's what this episode was about, though. What else we got to talk about? Well, I mean, go ahead and talk about your... You also had a recent... Oh, so you're going to make this about me now? Yep, I'm going to change now and make it about other people. (laughs) Um, Your recent book was The Sight of Love. Do you want to read yours? Actually, it's right across there, too, so I don't know if you can... (laughs) Uh I think the words survive underneath there. A female cop injured in the line of duty. A lonely bioengineer looking to fix a broken world. Both had taken their sights off of love until the universe interjects and plots a new course. Neither knows if they will even survive. survive. (laughs) That's right in the middle there. Uh, Follow Jameson and Anne as they discover what happens when fate intervenes and their paths unexpectedly cross. 
Will they remain stuck chasing ghosts from their past? Or will they embrace the present until the sight of love becomes crystal clear? So... Should that have been a question mark? It is. Should it have been? Yeah. I just realized... Okay. Or will they embrace... Clear? (laughs) No. (laughs) So, in your book, I mean, technically, she's gone through her own trauma. (laughs) Yep. One I've never been through. Yeah. But how, so how did you put yourself in that? Um, I, her character development come from? Honestly, I think, let me see. That book idea came first before The Sound of Love, which I'm actually still working on. I, I don't know, honestly, the inspiration for that one. I think it was just one of those things that someone said, here you go, mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a pretty vivid imagination for a lot of things. So this one wasn't... And actually, I started writing this one when Sound of Love came to be. And you're like... You told me, you're like, you know, you really could do a whole oh, yeah. series on all the... All the senses. All the senses. Could, I could do a sensory thing mm-hmm. in it. Um, that realization came from our, like, eight-mile hike last summer. Yeah, when we started talking sensory. about all these other... Um, so the main character Anne Malone is a cop who uh, gets caught in what's and I don't know how accurate this part was because but muzzle flash that actually damaged the inner workings of her eyeballs and she became blind and she's just despair and you know when you're, obviously when you're a cop you need your sight you need all your senses and then some so to go from being a cop which she loved, to not being a cop, then not having love. And it's just, there was a whole lot going on in that that pot of coffee there being stirred. Then my other main character, uh, Jameson, Morgan, he comes in to play. He He's looking for a refuge of his own. Uh, he had worked himself out of a relationship, actually. And... You know, when it comes to, you, you can't really compare, like, he didn't suffer anything, really, in terms of, like, sight loss, hearing, loss of limb, but he did suffer an emotional, I guess, decapitation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty bad, but, it's you know, your heart, heart trauma's trauma when it comes to the emotions of your heart. So he moves in next to Anne, and he just, you know, they meet, and blah, blah, blah. Um, there are some things I had to really, like, okay... How does this work? What are the the relationship mechanics of that? And I think my favorite part of that book, one of them, I should say, um, Anne and Jameson are standing in her kitchen, and they're talking back and forth, and they're trying not to make a whole lot of noise because um, Anne's friend Erica's in the living room sleeping, and Anne's basically saying how unfair it is that she's blind and he can see her, and of course she's going to say how attractive. She is, but he can't. She can't say the same about him. And he's like, "Okay, pretend I'm blind. Take my hands. Introduce me to you." And she's like, "That's not fair. You've already seen me blind." And he goes, "He's basically like, that's not the point. The point I'm trying to say is, you have other things about you that you can use to get to know somebody." Now, is that a complete accurate statement? Probably not, because a visual. You know, when we think about when we when we fall in love with somebody, there has to be that that laws of attraction that kick in. You're you're visually drawn to or not to somebody, and so 
uh, Jameson had an advantage. He could see her. She was a very beautiful woman. He had that look. Oh, she's you know she's hot. You know, and, but then he gets to know. He peels away the outer layers and it's like he starts to find more things about her that he likes. So in her saying that's not fair, you can see. He's like, then show me you. I'll close my eyes. She takes his hands and says, I, here's my hair. It's red. Now, how does she know it's red? Well, she had the, she was, she had sight, so she knew she had red hair. But the other parts, the physical attributes, here's my eyes, here's my ears, my lips, so forth and so on. And I ended up turning that into a bit of a romantic moment. But you use touch as the sensory it was, instead of your sight. Exactly. You, it's so everybody has the sensory of touch in some form or another. Even if you don't have arms, your skin still contacts with something. So in in saying all that, how I wrote that part, I had to bounce it off Sadie. And any time it comes to certain intimate scenes, I bounce it off Sadie because she's the woman in the relationship. And I said, I need to know how this sounds to you as a woman. How does that sound to your inner voice. Same thing I did with my first um, Kindred Souls. Mm -hmm. There was a scene, and I, I promised myself I would never have scenes in the book that reflected like the old school uh, Cinemax Friday After Dark. That's not at all what I ever want to write, but I do want to write things that portray real life to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, Sadie, please read this when you get a minute. Tell me too much, not enough, what have you. And when Sadie read this part, uh, I think, what was your reaction? Do you remember? Was I it? said it was perfect. It was There was just enough of it, but I also, I felt everything they were feeling. Like, for me, I don't, I just, there's those stories, like, Nora Roberts is one of my favorite, um, Danielle Steele. There's a couple other people out there that I love their stories. They're on the same, same vibe as far as, like, a a crime drama or a thrill medical thriller or something and then you're right at this point where you're like you're so into the story and then there's this massive disgusting sex scene <laughs> and that's all i can say it's not it plays no it serves no purpose in the book it's just to feed women what they want because they're not getting it from their own husbands and that's not how i relate to that so that's the that's what you're talking about yeah. is like sharing that intimate connection and that moment where there's sexuality or there's a little bit of heat between them without being you don't need to be super graphic leave a no, little bit no. to the person's imagination that was that was my idea too between kindred souls and uh sight of love i yeah. wanted to get you to the door and let you figure out oh, you open the door yourself hey okay. yeah just enough descriptive now i i probably will say i'll, I'll admit uh, in my Kindred Souls book, I described their bodies probably a little bit more than I did this one. It was yeah. probably the most, but that was it. I got you to the door. I got you to the bed. I peeled the covers back. Yeah. I put you in the bed. You know what? We're good. You figure what out you the What you did rest. after that is your own business. That's right. You figure <laughs> it out. Who's on top? Who's on bottom? So, Who's on so, first? Sorry, I just I pushed that a little bit too far. But that's that's important, though, because... You have to decide as an author, okay, how far am I going to push this envelope? Yeah. Where am I going to take this character? And you can't please everybody. Go with mm -hmm. your own gut when you do that. I mean, there's women that write erotic novels, not erotic tea like your mom likes, but um, there's women who write erotic novels, and there's nothing wrong with them in the, in the aspect of the people that want to read them. 
Am I going to buy them? No, I'm not. You're just, you're not that Could nice. I write one myself? Yes, I could. However. I'm going to say right now, I would love that. <laughs> however, it's not my forte. You know what I mean? It's not that I couldn't. It's just not what, even, even the line between fiction and nonfiction right now, where I'm, and it's going to change throughout your life. That's what I'm saying. Like my first thing that I wrote was steampunk fantasy. And then I went full blown epic fantasy. Because I pushed myself and I wanted to do that. I wanted to say that I could do that. Can I add something real quick? What? It helps that you have a husband that is into fantasy a little bit or science fiction. And like, I'm just saying I had a small part in your books. Did you? Small part. Did you though? A little bit. Did you though? A little bit, small part. A little bit. In me writing Coven of Ashwood Falls, you had a piece of that? I helped set the tone for Travelstead. Remember the cigar? Well, yeah, but that had nothing to do with sci-fi. It helps that, but yeah, it helps that we're we're both we're Ray. married, and then yeah, yeah. My my ex boyfriend from high school, Ray. <laughs> um, he he became Travelstead. I mean, he we. I didn't see him as that. I created Cra Travelstead's character, and then you're like, you do know that you're writing about Ray, right? Well, like that fits him. And, I'm and like, it helped. I totally saw years does. ago there was a. A drawing I saw, it was kind of like he, so from the lit ember of oh, his yeah. cigar, yep. you see like a partial shadowed lit face of your hero. And like, oh heck yeah, that's Travelstead. You know, and it just kind of, I said, I don't know if I ever found that picture. Maybe I did. I think but I so. I said, honey, this is Travelstead. Sorry, this is, to me, what he looks like. But then and we then were talking like to Ray. Ray not too long after that, and he's like, yeah, I'm sitting out on my back porch smoking a Cuban, and I'm like, oh my God. Hello. <laughs> Thank Hello, you for setting the scene. <laughs> Which is actually his last name growing up when I knew him and dated him, so. You're lucky he doesn't charge you for. <laughs> right? He should have the, <laughs> the rights to name. that, the copyright. Royalties. That's right. Um. I see another book there that yep. you probably talk This is about. the main one that I want to talk about just because it links to mine. So uh, my book, Fragments of Hope, like I said, it's a book of, it's a memoir of loss, survival, and recovery. So lately, I don't even know where I found him. We were on Facebook one day and I see this guy on there. Um, he's gay and his partner, Devin, his name's Brian Martin. His partner, Devin, is always in there with him. But they started this thing and he says, hey, babe. And he gets on and he tells these corny-ass corny jokes. Corny jokes ensuing. And it, it's so funny. It's so uplifting. So then, and I just caught him one day, just making this joke. And whatever. He's got tons of followers. And I'm like, okay, well, there must be something to him. He's been doing this long enough. So then he, uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. What else he Oh, he dances. So he gets up in the morning. He pours himself a cup of coffee. And he dances to whatever song it is that he's picked for the day. And he does these awesome dances. Kind of got addicted to that part too. I watch almost every single one that he does. So then another day I'm watching and he's just doing this video. Just re a regular live video. He sells Young Living Essential Oils, I think. He's one of the top people that sells those. And which we love alternative healing and essential oils and stuff too. So that kind of caught my attention. But I actually sat one day and listened to what he was saying. And in this, he's talking about losing his partner, Clayton, and his dad, and he tells his story. And I ended up buying, he's, so he's got a new book out, and it's called The Widowed Dancer. And you guys might want to check that out, too, as you're looking at my book on Tuesday. It's called The Widowed Dancer by Brian Martin. And the, the picture that he has on the front says, You can choose to stay in the storm, or you can choose to be the break in the clouds. 
and it says the widowed dancer growing through grief with gratitude and I thought that it I mean it really goes along with my book too but it's just I don't know it's a cool story he took basically all of their I think at the time he was on doing a blog post and I'm not even sure that's how it started I think he said he was on Facebook like once his partner was diagnosed a I don't even remember what kind of cancer he had. Now I'd have to look at it. Um, uh, terminal liver, liver failure. And he had eight months left to live. Okay. So anyway, um, my brain just derailed. What's the trauma train? talking about. Here. I know, but which part of it? <laughs> I think I went with you. Oh my God. I'm sorry, guys. My brain just went off the track here. Oh, so... He was so wrapped up in taking, being the caregiver and taking care of his partner, Clayton, that he could only get on Facebook once in a while and update people that way, like people that live across the country. So he started a blog, and he started just, he'd post a picture of them together, and then, you know, he put, so he, he labels this the diagnosis days, becoming a caregiver, a season of change. And then it's the caregiver years after he loses him. And then it's, you know year one, year two, year three after losing Clayton. And then he starts generating his own joy, self-generated joy. And he is one of the most happiest, joyful people that I've ever met. And it's come out of his trauma and his pain. And he's learned, you know, he's he's got a second chance now too. They're, they're engaged now. Um, him and Devin are engaged. And it's just, I don't know. It's just all of his words of wisdom and his uh, blog posts through his journey, too. So I would encourage you guys to get his book, kind of follow along with his journey also. I feel like we need to be promoting more. I just had a friend of mine that I work with that said, hey, will you send me the links to your book? Because I really feel like we need to be supporting other people right now in their endeavors and their creative. They only know me who I am at work. They love me for who I am because I give 110% of myself, but... That meant a lot to me that she reached out to me and said, hey, we want to know more about you outside of work. What it, what are your passions? What are your, you know. So yeah. I want to promote other people. We'll be doing this on the podcast too or maybe we'll pick certain people. But I'm going to reach out to Brian and see if there's some small chance in the universe that he would allow me to interview him on the podcast because I would love to have him on the podcast and have him share his story through grief to gratitude yeah, also. Know. Maybe he'll pass through Omaha. That would be awesome. I think they live in Florida, but either way, I would love to interview Maybe them. that's this so. fall we go to Florida instead of... Yeah. And I had started a series before that was people who... Um, teaching people to be more and do more. So I had a be, a be more, do more series. So I think that's one of the things we might explore a little bit more. I'd like to have Adam and Catherine of A Plus K, Adventures of A Plus K back on... You know, if you guys want to be on the podcast, if you have your own story to tell, feel free to reach out to us also. Um, my email is sadiekfraser at inpursuitofpurpose.org. You can reach out to either one of us, um, make comments in the, you know, in the podcast here. If you're on Twitter, I'm at craftedquill. I'm daily escape pod. And I would say my email, but it's long and I forgot. <laughs> That's not very good either. But. Either way, there's ways to reach out to us, and we would love to hear from you guys too. There's there's no story too small, no story too big. Every single story matters. It's important to get your story out there. If you want me to help you write your story and you don't know where to start, 
reach out to me too. My my website is in pursuit of purpose.org. You can get on there. You can contact me through there. Um, you know, we're here to help. We're not perfect. We are going through, like I said, we're going through some pretty major growing pains of our own right now. But we are determined to make the changes necessary to move ourselves forward, to pivot, to change. So... Like yeah. that that song, uh, got to move it, move it, <laughs> got to move. Now I will let me segue for a minute and say, if you'll allow me to. So, Love Sam has a sequel. Yes. At some point that you should start I working on. I should have done that instead um, of writing Fragments of Hope first. But and that is a continuation of. Yep. Addison. Yep. Where she reclaims her life and she has a daughter. Yeah. It's called Saving Grace. Did and I, actually, did I'm I like, oops on that? Did I reveal too much? No, I'm actually like a hundred pages into that. So. So you're gonna. That might be what I need to work you're on. You're gonna next. be walking the travel train, a travel train, the trauma travel train, train, on that one as well. And you know what though? That that is how you grow as an author. Yeah. You put yourself into positions where, you could either uh, I don't want to touch. I don't want to. Or, yeah. I need to develop this character enough where the other person is in tears. And honestly, that is the greatest compliment an author or an actor could ever say is when someone says, your book affected me so much this way, yep. I cried. That's what I want. And, and hopefully you cried out, it was so bad. that. Yeah. But that, that's, as authors, that's, that's our job. We are telling a story, no matter how it came to fruition, that... We're telling a story. Yep. Storytellers have been around for millennia. Yep. You know, and that's... Oh, indigenous people and... That's how their history is. Native American. Yeah. Before the writing systems became a thing, they would tell, culturally, tell stories of great, 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 great yep. grandfather killed a giant mammoth. And the wisdom and of the world. So if, if we're doing a good job as an author, we're telling the story in layers. And as you read, you peel back those layers and you learn where they are at, where they're from, who they are, what they did. And I think for us as authors, we have the benefit of coming up with all this stuff, character development, who they are, what they look like. Who they love, who they don't love, the bat, the antagonists. Mm -hmm. um, in my Kindred Souls series, mine was had a supernatural aspect where the main bad character was the black dragon. Yeah. So it's it was kind of a Celtic supernatural slash um, Japanese. It was a whole lot of layers. A lot of traveling was done in that book, but it. Besides Half Fate Will Travel, it was probably my favorite books I have written because I'm also um, ancestrally tied to the Celtic nations. So I, I have that within me. Like It's a familiar feel to me. Mm -hmm. It's a really weird. Like I, I feel like I've been to Scotland and yeah, Ireland. That feels like home and to us. If I look at my ancestry, they're all from those nations. Yep. All of them. And so it's easier for me to pull from somewhere out there in spirit land mm -hmm. ooh, the battle of culloden or yeah now i know that i was not there obviously because i was in the you know 1500s or so maybe not quite that far back 1600s actually 
I wasn't there, so how the heck do I know? And by no means do we mean disrespect for the no. people who have been through those things. Or things that I speak of in my book, I might describe grief a certain way, and then there might be somebody who's been through that same situation and has been like, she's got that all wrong. This is how I felt. All of us, like we've been talking about lately, we all have a different blueprint of how we view life, of how we deal with trauma, of how we just live our lives and we love and we breathe. So we have to do it on our own. We can't copy someone else's blueprint. And there's no reason, even as an author, as you're reading, take it to heart. But if it doesn't apply to you, move on and see it from the perspective of maybe your point of view. Learn your own life lessons from it. But you know, like I said, by no means do we mean disrespect to anybody who has a different version or a different viewpoint of anything that we say in our books. Yeah. Now, I will add, ooh, headphones are loud. Um, the very first small book I wrote was Tales from the Wondrous Attic. Yeah. That one was truly fictional. Yeah. The only accurate parts of that were uh, my our two daughters that I used as the main characters, mm -hmm. but then my mom's maiden name was in that book everything else was purely fictional but you know what that book was so fun to write yeah in terms of like all all the rules went out the window in terms of because it was it was purely fantasy and same way with um the second one and the the title actually became the series title tales from the wondrous attic um realms of fantastic no, <laughs> no that's, that's so bad it. it had a reality yes so anyways oh my god i'm not representing my books very well today you'll have to forgive me but we both have had a um, little bit of brain fog this weekend i'm sorry <laughs> weather related yeah anyways um do we have anything else we want to talk about i don't think so i just i would encourage all of you to we're kind of riffing today. to start somewhere yeah we didn't even talk ahead of time about we what we're going to talk about so <laughs> we usually have breakfast and sadie's fast and furiously note taking and you know what though i see another book over there which one is there a point something about nora roberts that you wanted to talk about no i just i was just bringing up different people i mean nora roberts she like she's got a new one the awakening <laughs> that's a good title too um <laughs> but i think that's that's what we're doing is awakening to the possibilities that are within us that we can reach beyond what we think we are possible what we think is possible so i would encourage all of you to if you've got a story in you it doesn't matter where it's coming from it could be fiction it could be non-fiction listen to your gut if you have a story within you just start writing that's all i ask start by journaling if you have to but you know, if you, and if you don't know where to start, if you have questions, if you want to know our experience, reach out to us. We will, we'll share it all. I and mean, we had some good and bad experiences. We had a publisher who we left because it wasn't everything we thought it would get, would be. Did it get our foot in the door? Absolutely. Did it teach us a lot? One hundred percent. But that's not where we were meant to remain, and we no. self-publish now. So. And there's there's advantages and disadvantages to self-publishing too. Yeah. You. I think we'll have a a separate maybe we'll do a whole thing on self-pubbing yeah. versus publishing one day and by self-pubbing you you remove yourself from the whole middleman experience it's yeah. you and amazon you give a little bit to amazon and you get the rest yeah but what we lose in that sort of is a company that offers advertising but then it, it just there's a lot of little offshoots and swirls and backtracks if you like to self-pub, you want all the notoriety 
that's the way to go. If you have the money to do so, put yourself out there with a literary agent. Mm -hmm. Try for the big houses. Don't give up. There you go. No matter which way you go, it's possible. It, it's so it, enjoy the journey. Also, don't yep. don't let discouragement. Like I was actually working on a book manuscript with uh, a friend of mine out of state. For we're going to write an MGM book manuscript for Stargate. We got really far with it, and then they just they shot it down. And I I don't. And it, it had nothing to do with you. It no, was it was. They were tape. they were wanting just a particular style and. I didn't write that way, but I had to force myself. That it, it's somehow through all of that, we lost what we were trying to convey. And so it was a, a different, it was kind of a downfall, but yet it was, it was like, I really put myself out there. Mm -hmm. The other uh, put myself out there moment, how many of my 80s fans out there, how many of you out there remember um, never ending never story. Ending, the never ending story with Sebastian? You remember him? So, I know there's sequels to that, and I know there's probably books, but I wanted to write a book where it talks about Sebastian's child. Sebastian is an adult, probably older. His child is also in his late 20s now, and he kind of picks up where the story takes off. But, I didn't make it very far. With uh, I reached out to the... Um, estate lawyer or how, whatever it was and they politely said we are not interested at this time in taking this any further okay great i did my due diligence now i have this whole book manuscript i can't do anything with you could change it up I, and do yeah, other things i did but it's going to become its own uh, manuscript on its own i had mm -hmm. to remove any hint of the never-ending story so it's going to be a lot Different than what I wanted. Not 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 a lot, but but just you still different. put yourself out there. It's yeah. still worth asking. Don't don't be afraid to reach out there. Like yeah, I've talked to one of my favorite authors via Twitter, Karen Travis. I absolutely love her style of writing. She wrote uh, the books to the video, the in between books for the video games, uh, Gears of War. She wrote Star Wars novels. So she just became. Um, she was my gal, man. I loved her mm -hmm. writing. Another author that's no longer living, Beverly Cleary. I wish this podcast was like 10 years ago. I would have loved to have interviewed her, even though back then, even she would have been in her 90s. Mm -hmm. But, you know, another favorite author is Piers Anthony. He, I believe, is still alive, but probably not writing anymore. I don't know. So I guess what I'm saying is don't be afraid to reach for the stars, um... Have your things out there that you aspire to be like, but don't be like them so much you lose yourself. Yeah, listen to your be gut. yourself. Use your own emotions, your own stories, your own backstory. Just don't be afraid to reach for the stars. Look at Stephen King. I used that in the one of my free workshops that I did before. How many how many pieces of paper did he throw away? He threw away whole manuscripts and said, "I'm crap." I see all these other people out there that are bestsellers, and I will never be able to do this. I'm not as good as them. And he threw it in the trash. His wife. And his wife pulled it back out of the trash, secretly submitted it to it other people. Carrie, didn't it? Yeah, it was for Carrie. <laughs> and look where he is now. Look, what what would have happened? What would our world be like without Stephen King and, and his movies and his books? Yeah. 
I mean, it's just, it's incredible to know that how close we are to giving up is sometimes the cusp of that awakening and that change that's going to pull us into that future we've always dreamed of. There, There is a bit that you will walk in their footsteps for a while because you're, you're learning from them. Like mm -hmm. we wrote over Christmas break, we uh, watched Lee Child mm -hmm. series on writing. From the Jack Reacher series. I had to restart, redo my the side of love book and the way i opened up that first scene fragments of hope i was done and realized i had written it in the wrong point of view because i didn't listen to my gut and i changed it about six chapters seven chapters in i changed it a long time ago and i was like nah I, i'm not gonna listen to my gut this is what i should do and i changed it the point of view all to third person we go through lee child's thing at christmas he has this profound moment where he sounds like he's talking right to me Huh. And I knew what I needed to do with that book, so I had to take every single 200 and some pages of that book and go back and put it all back into first person. Redo. And I knew that's Redo the way it should have been in the first place, so I should have listened to my gut. So, yeah. And that that's one of the problems, too, I have as an author. Um, I don't outline much of my stuff. I have the very first page in my Google Drive for the manuscript. I lay out the who, what, when, where, why, and how. I fill out as much as I can, but I don't want to override... The creative aspect of that, sometimes you just go, and you know what, that's what the editing process is for. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about Stephen King. His, he says, when you are initially writing, do not worry about punctuation. Do not worry about you. Mm -hmm. Your job at this point is to just get it out on paper. Your editor's job is to fix all your mistakes. And you'll do that during rewrites, too. You always should go back and read, read through it, you know, as many times as you need to. Susan Solomon is from our old publishing company, and she does rewrites all the time like she'll read the chapter and then for the next few days she'll let it set for a couple of days and she'll work on another chapter but then she goes back and she reads again and again and again and she sees how that chapter goes with the next she does like multiple multiple rewrites so you'll rewrites and rereads <laughs> yeah and you'll fine-tune it basically later but you lose the emotion if you are so hell-bent on watching punctuation and grammar and all these other things that you should be saying, you're going to lose that emotion and that, you know, that feeling behind that book. That's that rawness that comes out onto the page. So, yep. We have been full of words of wisdom this morning, haven't we? <laughs> We're just here to help in any way we can, no matter what it is that you're facing in your life. So, how many books do we have out? Um, I, I have, think I have eight. I have six now. Or seven. We have a couple collab. Yeah. Collabs. So, between us, so probably 15, 15 16. to 16, yeah. Yeah. So, if anybody wants to, like I said, if anybody wants to pick up this book, it is Fragments of Hope. You can get it on Amazon. You can go do the pre-order right now on Amazon. And then on Tuesday, the 28th, this will be available on paperback and hardback as well. And Kindle. Well, Kindle's what's the pre-order. Oh. So, so yes, on Tuesday the 28th, it will also options. be available on Kindle. Three options. And it's a memoir of loss, survival, and recovery. And that doesn't have to be just from grief of losing someone. It can be within your own self, too. So yep. take it for what it's worth and learn the life lessons in it. Use it as a self-development tool. I listed it as fiction, which it is, but I've also listed it as creative nonfiction because there's a lot of self-help stuff in the book as well to kind of push you forward past this moment of grief and losing yourself and losing others 
I hope that it will help you in your journey along the way to finding yourself again as well. Amen. Amen. Is that about wrap it up, Sadie? Sure. Are we good? I think we're good. This has been another edition of Have Coffee Will Travel with... Sadie K. Frazier. Stephen St. Clair from The Crafted Quill. And I'm from The Daily Escape Podcast. See you on the flip side. Peace out.